strap in, get ready for one hell of a time. Jengus is at PAX Unplugged, and I'm by myself. Time for a monologue. Welcome to episode 34 of You Shall Not Pass Go. I am your host, Dave, and I'm here on GeekAid.com. What's your geek? Wow, that's incredibly hard to do, minus a Jengus. Jengus uh, is currently at PAX Unplugged, hopefully bringing back lots of goodies about board games that he's going to share with us on the next episode, similar to the Jengus Unplugged podcast we had last year. Uh, and I'm hoping he'll also bring some games back with him for the two of us to literally play together, um, and maybe even with more people. But in the meantime, you get me, Dave, and I'm going to monologue for you this month's cast, uh, mainly because I was too lazy to find someone else that wanted to do this this month, so I figured I would just go for it. Starting off, we have Ultimate Masters, Magic the Gathering's newest master set, uh, the most expensive master set yet because they are trying to veer away from a masters in general. Um, this set is special in a few ways. The first way is, like I said, the price kicks up. Um, so is it worth it? I mean, I'll just tell you right now, the answer is uh, like most master sets, if you pull the the chase rare, uh, yeah, you can definitely get your money back if you're paying $300 for the box. But if you don't get that chase rare you're looking for, or the box topper, which I'll talk about in a moment, uh, probably not worth it. That's the be-all end-all of the price point. But what else is different about this set is, as I said, the box topper. Every box that you buy is going to have a box topper pack um, right, right as soon as you open, and it's going to contain one of 40 of the rares and mythic rares in the set with a special art, I guess it would be called, semi-borderless art, um, kind of like uh, one of the promos you might get on like a game day, but maybe less fancy than that, but it is foil, and so some of the cards, I mean, you'll you'll hear it might be worth to have in that foil, um, others maybe not so much, but let's break down the set. So the first big thing is the Eldrazi. Eldrazi are back, all of them, Olamog, um, Emrakul, and good old Kozilek are together once again. Um, my biggest disappointment, though, is that there isn't any new art. I would have liked a new version of the art for the three Eldrazi, the three big originals, um, because I just feel like it could have changed. But, you know, I'm also just going to say, hey, if I pull another Emrakul, that's great. Um, and along with the colorless mythics, Karn is in the set, because why not? Um, same art with him. Uh, but some other cards that I want to point out would be probably uh, Sigarda, which I love. Maelstrom Pulses in the set. Gaddock Teague. I could really use a Gaddock Teague. And him being in the set makes this be a set that maybe I'd want to purchase. Not just for Gaddock Teague, but for some other cards. Tarmogoy makes a representation once again not so excited about it but interesting that they chose yet another version of the art for Tarmogoyf uh, Noble Hierarch is in the set Noble Hierarch still at regular rarity which is surprising um, not mythic but is still a great rare to go after. So is Life from the Loam, um, sporting some new art there. Pattern of Rebirth, which is not a very expensive card per se, but it's a card that I used in a lot of my creature-based decks. That's the enchantment. It's one green and three colorless. When you attach it to a creature, uh, when that creature dies, you can then search your deck for any creature card and put it onto the battlefield. It was like, uh, the the at the time that I got it, it was the cheap man's, uh, the poor man's, um, pattern of, uh, not pattern of rebirth. That is the card. The poor man's, uh, natural order. That's the card I was looking for. Hard to stall for thinking time without a partner to bounce this off of. Um, Kodama's Reach, that's not a rare, but I'm just naming it because I see it and it's got some really neat new art to it. Um, Eternal Witness, not a rare. It's an uncommon, but E-Witness is definitely, it's a pricey card for what it is, and it sports some new art, and it's also one of the possible box toppers, so it's not even just rares, I guess, there's also uncommons, though I'm not sure I'd be happy if my box topper, I paid $300 for a box and I get a foil E-Witness, I don't know about that, I'm, I mean, I'll see how much they go for and then make my decision. Um, in terms of some red rares, uh, the big thing that I think is going to be great is the uh, Balefire Dragon, he's bad. 
back in big form. Same art as before. Black rares, we're looking at... Um, the big one for me, really, was uh, Demonic Tutor is back with new art. And I like the art. It's like this weird... They're, I mean, they're going all in on the pirate theme right now, but it's like a pirate on like a little lifeboat raft and some horrible demon behind him, I guess, trying to make this bargain. Uh, Lily of the Veil, another reprint. Once again, same art. Would have loved to have seen a different art, but uh, a friend of mine, Joe, mentioned that that art is kind of iconic for Lily of the Veil, and I guess it is. And it's not bad art. It's great art. Um, a Reanimate is back. So is Entomb. Those are great cards um, that I would love to have extra copies of. Bitter Blossom, another mythic in the set, uh, if you're looking for a Bitter Blossom. In terms of blue rares temporal uh, manipulation which i really wanted one and i don't have one it's one of those extra turn cards that were um i think that was the one where it was only in the buy box promo and it wasn't released in the actual set for what was it like the last core set that was not great of them snapcasters back uh what else Laboratory Maniac is back as an uncommon, which I thought was interesting. Glen Aldra Archmage has some new art. And Dig Through Time is coming up with another reprint. Uh, and then we're looking at the white rares. Wall of Reverence. Wall of Reverence. One white, three colorless. It's a defender. It's one six, has flying. And at the beginning of your end step, you may gain life equal to the target power or the, uh, the power of a target creature you control. I have so many walls of reverence from Conflux. I haven't looked at the price of a wall of reference recently, but it annoys me whenever they boost an uncommon that I'm I'm like, I don't know. I just don't see that as a rare. Why is that in my rares? Like if I pull that in a rare, I'd be really disappointed because I'd be like, I have 12 of these that were uncommon. Why am I wasting a potential pack of something great for something not so great? Uh, Revel Arc is making a reappearance, but similar art, nothing new there. Um, Daybreak, uh, Coronet, Coronet, is Coronet, Coronet? I'm not really sure, but it's that awesome enchantment that's too white that you have to have another aura on the creature before you use it, but you get plus three, plus three, uh, lifelink, vigilance, and first strike to the creature that you attach it to. It's sporting its, uh, the art that it got back in, what was that other master set? Uh, I don't think it was Iconic Masters. Eternal Masters? I think it was Eternal Masters when it was reprinted uh, with its new art. Uh, the Ajani looking cat person getting beefed. Um, and that's pretty much all the things that I like to mention. Oh, I guess there's also Manlands. If you're into those, those are back. And a Mana Vault, that's also worth noting um, in terms of other colorless rares. And Cavern of Souls. Oh, and Dark Depths. Forgot about, I forgot all, all about the lands. Dark Depths, Caracas is back again as a mythic. Dark, de- uh, Dark de- Depths is a mythic. And I really need to slow down my talking. When Jengis isn't here, I just prattle on i'm steamrolling this Ooh, we're gonna call this one the steamroll monologue uh probably not but if it is called that don't hate me cavern of souls as i said is back with its new fancy art that it sported the last time it got reprinted so if any of these cards sound like they are uh something you might want to go after then maybe this set is for you for me personally i can't i mean I've said it before that I've stopped actively collecting cards um, in terms of buying boxes, and I definitely cannot justify the $300 it would be to get an Ultimate Masters box without a guarantee that I'll make my money back, because there is a very good chance that you might not make your money back. Then again, you know, you could pull crazy foils and mythics, and, you know, you pull a lily box topper foil, and you're pretty much set. You know, I, I'd imagine that that plus whatever else is in the box will pretty much do uh, do wonders for you. So I got to personally for me, it's a one thumb up, one thumb down. I like a lot of the reprints. I'm just not sure they're worth buying in box form. And the box toppers for me, I would have enjoyed different art rather than this semi borderless thing that they chose to go with uh the cards just don't look as amazing as they could if they were you know either full art or if they'd changed the art masterpiece style i would have enjoyed that i think much more um oh kitchen finks is in the set as well i was looking through it that's also one of the random box toppers you can get once again an uncommon um so if that's something you're interested in, maybe pick up a box. If not, I'd say just go for the singles when you can find them. 
And that pretty much is my review of Ultimate Masters. What do you think, Jengus? Jengus says yes. And I don't know what he's saying yes to. He's not here. I've mentioned this. I'm lonely. Moving on. I figured it might be good uh, for us to talk us. Jesus, I can't even get out of the duo speak. I thought it might be good for me to talk about a holiday gift guide for each of our sections. And starting with Magic the Gathering, what do you get for the person who wants something magic related? Especially if you're not a magic person and you have no idea what any of this gobbledygook means. You just hear us prattle on every week about, you know, rares and mythics and man lands and dual lands and you know, we say names like Karn and Liliana, and you're like, I have no idea what any of this means. Well, that's fine. I'm here to help you get that thing for that special someone that might make them happy. Now, if that someone is someone young or a casual collector or someone new, every winter season, uh, Magic the Gathering, Wizards specifically, Hasbro, if you will, releases a holiday gift box. It comes with somewhere in like four to six packs, I want to say. That might even be me being generous. Uh, it comes with a bunch of land and some organizers and just a really nice box to kind of start uh, something to keep your collection in. And if the player you're looking for is a casual player or they play standard, standard means the most uh, recent sets, or if they've just started out, whatever it may be, um, that would be the 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 gift for them. Uh, I can't imagine a disappointment there because it's just packs in a nice box and what else could you want? Um, especially if the person's younger too. I mean, granted, like maybe there's some crazy four-year-olds, five-year-olds playing magic out there that are like, I want dual lands for Christmas. And you're like, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Oh my God, they're hundreds of dollars. No, um, get the gift box. That's the way to go. But if the person you're buying for is a little older, a little bit more experienced, um, has a great collection, well, then I have two recommendations. Now, I said Ultimate Masters, for me, as a longtime collector, I can't see value in that box. However, if this is someone who maybe started Magic only in recent years, or they're they're slowly but surely becoming really hardcore players ultimate masters packs or even a box depending on who you're buying for if it's that significant other and you want to spend a lot of money an ultimate masters box would be a great gift um like i said maybe not so much for me but it depends on the size of the collection and if they have a lot of the cards that are in the set now if you're not sure you could always just sort of Air to the side of caution and maybe get a couple packs of Ultimate Masters rather than a box and supplement that with the holiday gift box and turn it into one large gift and hope they enjoy it. But I would say the most specific thing you can do, and obviously this would take some of the element of surprise out of it, but if you know nothing about magic, there are tons of websites out there like TCGplayer.com, Troll and Toad, and all these other random sellers um, that people or magic players who have signed up to their web services, they can create accounts and on the accounts, they can create a wish list similar to how you would on any other website like Amazon or even the old fashioned written down holiday wish list that you'd send off to Santa and you know, your parents would bring to the mailbox for you and then secretly take it out later and read it. Um, no hard feelings there. I would say, Ask them to create a holiday wish list. And you don't even have to say it's for you to buy. You could say, oh, you know, inquiring minds want to know or a family member contacted me or whatever it may be that can, you know, steer them away from the path of what would be uh, them discovering that you're going to buy them magic if you wanted to be a big surprise. But if you can get them to get you a list of singles, you can then peruse the singles on their holiday wish list. And depending on your spending limit, you can then decide what you want to get for them. Um, but tell them to, you know, put the cards that they need down. This is especially good if the player is a player like me who plays Commander or EDH or a singleton format, a sort of eternal format where, uh, pretty much every card minus a handful are, are, are good to go. And 
it's very specific what is needed for each deck. Uh, but that's sort of my recommendation at each level. We have the holiday gift box for your noobs, the ultimate masters for the people that want to build a, a collection of cards that they might not have and they're hardcore players, or uh, of course appropriate singles for the longtime players with large collections. And that just requires a little bit of legwork. Wow, I'm thirsty. Moving on to D&D and role-playing and all that awesome getting into character goodness. Uh, The Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica came out last month. We briefly mentioned it. I think we had discovered it the day we had recorded the podcast. was like the day it had released. And we hadn't really had the time to read it yet. So we couldn't make an educated... Uh, analytical opinion of the Guildmaster's Guide. Well, I have since perused the book. I, I will be honest, I did not read the whole thing line by line, chapter by chapter. And I can tell you, I was disappointed. The Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica was a hopeful book for me. I, you know, I like chocolate in my peanut butter from time to time. I like peanut butter in my chocolate from time to time. So while they're delicious separate, it's nice to kind of add that little flair of Magic the Gathering into a D&D world. If, if you play both games, you always think about what would it be like to be Jay Spellerin in, an, in a D&D campaign? You know, a mind mage, and what is mana like, and how would the system be different? And you have all these burning questions inside. Well, well, I'm here to tell you if you wanted to figure out what that system would be like, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica is not for you. Uh, this book is, first off, the races in it are just the weird Ravnica races. You have like the Loxodon and the Simic hybrids, and you know. Uh, weird other I can it's not even really memorable oh the Vidalkin they're in there uh but there's not really much else in the way of new rules per se there's a couple other things but everything that's in that book that's rule specific has been part of an unearthed arcana or part of a plane shift that we've talked about before on this very podcast And therefore, the lack of new material, also the lack of planeswalkers and mechanics of Magic the Gathering and how they would relate to D&D really upset me. Like I couldn't, I actually searched because with, you know, D&D Beyond, uh, I can just search keywords in source books and I just searched the word planeswalker and in the Guildmaster's Guide, it only appears one time in a backstory in the history or the, you know, uh, world building of Ravnica just to mention Jace it just says planeswalker Jace Bellerin and that's as far as it goes it obviously it talks about Jace because Jace is an integral part of Ravnica and from Ravnica but that's the only mention of planeswalker which begs the question what is a planeswalker in Dungeons and Dragons what is that rule like how does that look uh, I can't imagine it would be too complicated to think up but at the same time I'm sure that's a lot of R&D that they didn't want to go through. Regardless, uh, if you like the history of Magic the Gathering, and specifically if you love Ravnica, and you want to incorporate Ravnica into a campaign setting, and you want to run a game in Ravnica, and you want to learn all about the guilds, then the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica is for you. If you were expecting, however, how does mono work officially in D&D? And what is Planeswalker as a template? Or is it a class? Or what what does that even mean? Or any of the the rules-heavy stuff that you were looking for? Um, Then, as I said before, this unfortunately was not the guide for you. And as that was what I was looking for, because honestly, I could, I really couldn't, give two nickels about Ravnica as a campaign setting rather the mechanics or what really interested me. Um, I have to say for me, this book was two thumbs down. Um, and that's sad to say because you think, you know, chocolate and peanut butter Reese's you're like, wow, I would pay Reese money for Reese's. I, I wouldn't pay money for the Guildmaster's guide to Ravnica. Once again, unless, Ravnica is really your jam and you love the history of Magic the Gathering. You want to know about the guilds? This will tell you. Next comes a sort of dual review of a book and a book series. So I'll start with the book. 
We mentioned a while back that Timeless came out, but I'm not sure I actually talked about Timeless. So I'm going to very briefly go over what happens in Timeless and my feelings about everything. Or not everything that happens in Timeless, but a majority of it. So let me start by saying spoiler alert. I say it again. Spoiler alert. Uh, Timeless, the newest Dritzt book by R.A. Salvatore, was great. Uh, Of course, we left off in the last book, Hero, where Zach Nefane had returned to life. And that was mind-blowing because that was one of those Gene Grey Phoenix types where you were like, this is the one character they're never going to bring back. And then they finally bring that character back and you're like, I can't believe they're actually doing this. Um, Permadeath is something rare in a lot of geek culture media, uh, but when it happens, it's very poignant. And you, as much as you want the characters back, you know in your heart of hearts it's better that they stay dead. So I had mixed feelings. On the one hand, I was very happy Zach Nefane was back. If it was, in fact, truly Zach Nefane, which I will tell you after reading Timeless, it is. It is, in fact, Zach Nefane. He is back, 100% resurrected from the dead. But on the other hand, I wondered how it would affect what I know and love about Dritz. And I have to tell you, I couldn't have been more pleased with the way that Bob Salvatore chose to take this book's direction. Because we met Zach Nefane in the Underdark. We met him in two books, briefly, and in a world of villainy and hate and just awful, awful, awful creatures, the, the drow, He was a shining light like his son Dritzt. He was this hero, this this true-to-life father figure that it pains you to see how good he truly wanted to be and how much he wanted for his son. And when he died, it was sad. And the rest of the series, Dritzt spends putting his father up on a pedestal, and deservedly so, as far as we're aware. From what we've seen of Zach Nefane, this is this is the man who deserves to be put on a pedestal. He is, I mean, he's just the best. And I was afraid of how that, how having him back would possibly tarnish the opinions that we have of him. And what Bob Salvatore chose to do was really lay into that. Um, He kind of destroys a lot of that pristine perception because when Zach Nefane finds out that Caddy Bree is his daughter-in-law, you find out he's kind of secretly a racist and he doesn't respect the other races. Like he always wanted his son to escape the Underdark and the Drown Matrons, but he, I guess, somehow hoped that his son would find a drow, another drow like him, uh, who was good, and that they would marry. And the fact that Dritzt might be, you know, has, oh, I shouldn't say might be, Caddy Bree is pregnant. And the fact that he's going to be, you know, the father to a half-breed. I mean, what it comes down to is Zach Nefane kind of, still feels like other races are Iblith, which is the drow word for shit. Um, in fact, I think it's even lower than that. And it's shocking to find out this guy who Dritzt has thought of as this immaculate, wonderful human being is still deeply flawed in his own way. And it's a battle for Zach Nefane to kind of even begin to overcome this racism. And you have a feeling it's not a battle he's unwilling to fight. By the end of the book, you 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 have a distinct feeling that he's gonna try. But the thing is, it's it's like crazy how not easy it is for him to accept these circumstances. And despite everything, despite the fact that his son has lived a good life amongst good people and the fact that how powerful they are, I mean they're the they're the companions, they're the champions of the hall, you know? And Despite everything, Brunor the King and Caddy Bree the um, Chosen, who with both Divine and Arcane, and you have Regis, like the now Master Assassin Rogue, and like you have Artemis and Tree, literal Master Assassin, like all of these lives that have touched Dritz, uh, Dritz's 
Wow, that's hard to say. Drits. Um, all of these lives that have helped shape his son. It's amazing to see how much Zach Nefain struggles with the ideas of what Dritz has done during this time that Zach Nefain has been dead, the, the century or two that's gone by. Regardless of that, um, the book has other things that go on. Of course, there's more drow scheming. We're back to drow being drow and talking about the Underdark, but the real other shining moment of the book outside of the current drama with Zach Nevane and Dritz, which really is the the best parts of the book, in my opinion. Um, the other shining moment is the flashbacks to Zach Nefane as a young warrior turning to weapons master and Jarlaxle, the young, brash outcast, slowly bringing up Bregan Durth and um, the two of them meeting and becoming friends. It's an interesting story how it all happens and how they learn to literally trust one another, um, which is hard for Zach Nefane, who he believes that everyone, including other males, are always in it to stab you in the back. And then in comes Jarlaxle, who... Yes, he can, but he's loyal to those, you know, he he has his own code, his own code of honor, and, and it takes time, but the two of them begin to see eye to eye, which is part of why you believe that that symmetry, that hope of being able to overcome one's expectations and the stereotypes that one expects, and the fact that Zach Nefane did it before in some ways for Jarlaxle, it's what kind of gives you hope for the future of the uh, Duorden family, so to speak. Though that is a term in and of itself because crazy things happen with the new house Duorden. That's right, the new house Duorden. Um, without getting too detailed, I'm going to leave it there uh, and say that this book for me was definitely two thumbs up. I say that about most of the Dritz series, but I, I for me, it's, it's two thumbs up. Now, if Dritz is a series you've been looking to pick up, um, you can go to Ari Salvatore's website. You can also go to his Facebook and you can find a post that he made that talks about the preferred, his preferred reading order for his series, including all of the offshoot books, like the three books about Maimon that he wrote with his son. Secretly, that's I think that's Bob Salvatore's like greatest regret and yet highest pride. Um, he loves the Stowaway series, um, or sorry, the Stone of Timora series. Stowaway was the first book. And he wrote that with his son. And I remember speaking to him at Comic-Con, and he was so happy that I had owned all three books because they're out of print now. And I, I feel like he thinks that people didn't recognize that those were, in fact, in their own way, they were Dritzt stories. I mean, he Dritzt appears in each of those books and does have a part to play um, with the hero Maimon. And I I couldn't believe that people hadn't, hadn't picked up those books. That aside, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, if you want to see the preferred reading list of the order in which you should read all of the books and all of the offshoots, you can go to R.A. Salvatore's website or, of course, to his Facebook. Um, however, based on a recommendation from a friend of mine, her name is Katie, uh, she recommended, I noticed, I noticed, and I bring this up after Dritz because I noticed on, on our, we're Facebook friends and on social media, she had posted the picture of this um, woman warrior who reminded me of a female version of Dritz. She had like this, like if you, if you turned Dritz into a woman and made her a moon elf, in terms of the shading of her skin, you would pretty much have how this character looked on the book art for this book called The Throne of Glass. And I had never heard of the Throne of Glass series. I had never heard of the author, Sarah J. Mass, Mass, um, and knew nothing about it. But I had seen Katie post about it a bunch of times on my social media. I had seen these this book series pop up a bunch and I was in the mood to read something new and different and, you know, high fantasy is my my shtick. So I reached out and she recommended that I do read the series, um, but with the kind of warning that it's sort of YA fiction and that it is definitely catered towards a female audience. Now, as someone who has read the Twilight series full through, I was pretty sure I could handle anything that was going to come at me in terms of the YA female oriented world. Um, so I decided to give it a shot. 
I was, you know what? I was like, I'm, I'm going to go in with an open mind and give it a shot. And I am so glad I did. I got addicted very fast. The series, uh, the main series, is seven books. And there's, I believe, four or five novellas that are little offshoot side stories that take place um, way before the first book. But the overall summary of the beginning of the series, of the first book, if you will, is about a young woman whose name is Selena Sardothian. And Selena is 17, 18. I believe she's 17 or 18. I think she's 18, if I remember correctly, in the first book. Um, She's 18 years old, and she is the best assassin in all of Aurelia. Aurelia is like this this, this land, this world, if you will, that um, the author built. And... At 18 years old, this girl is the best assassin. She's also currently, at in, from the very first chapter, she has been arrested and for a year, so since she was 17, um, for an entire year, she has been sentenced pretty much to hard slave labor to death. Um, she's, she's working in a salt mine, getting abused and working herself to near death, but not succumbing, not yielding to it. And most people who come to this salt mine, I think they say survive maybe a few days, a couple weeks on end, and she's survived there a whole year and has not given up yet. Um, the crown prince, the king, is the one that sentenced her there, the king of this, of, of, uh, this kingdom of Ardalon. The king is a conqueror of sorts. In his sort of piece of the world, he has conquered all the other nations this is i should also mention this is a world where magic did exist at one time and 10 years prior to the start of the first book um magic just stopped working people didn't know if the gods just abandoned everyone or what what could have caused it but magic stopped working and the king of ardalon decided to ban all magic kill as many magic users as he could find round them up destroy them like sort of a very mass genocide type thing and burn all books i mean we're talking very very hitlery nazi type stuff um, even some of the soldiers you meet during the books, even one you a character Kale, um, who you come to care about, is a very like very classic I was just following orders type guy. Um, until he in, until he slowly realizes the error of his ways. But I bring this up because um the king is not obviously a great guy, and his son, the crown prince Dorian. Dorian comes to this salt mine to offer Selena uh, a a bargain, the the a deal. The deal is that the king is holding a tournament because he is looking for a champion, uh, a champion who will essentially do his dirty work for him. You know, he points, they shoot, so to speak, and he's looking for the best fighter or assassin thief doesn't matter the best person to be that champion dorian for reasons of his own wants to win this competition by selecting his champion all of the nobles get to select their champions and then the champions fight each other to become the king's champion um and dorian wants selena to be his champion and he offers her the deal where they come to a bargain where if she represents him in the tournament and wins the tournament, becomes the king's champion, she'll have to serve the king for four years and then she'll be released and pardoned of her, of her crimes. Um, so considering she's, you know, sentenced to death by slave labor in this camp, um, she agrees you know she manages to bargain i think they start at like six years and then go down to like she wants three he says five she says four he says done but in truth she she probably would have said yes to any amount of years because anything was better than where she was and that's the premise that right there best assassin in the world was arrested sentenced to death takes a bargain with the crown prince to go become the king's champion and then things slowly spiral and expand from there. There's a whole subplot 
that involves a thick part of her backstory that you really don't even learn about until near the end of the second book slash beginning of the third book, I think, is when you sort of really begin to learn about it. Um, And it just blows open the whole series. It gets wild. There's battles. There's magic. There is some sultry, sultry scenes. I will tell you that there are elves in it, Faye. And I named uh, the fifth book, um, despite the actual name of the fifth book, I named the fifth book Fifty Shades of Fae because the amount of just sex that goes on in that book was incredible. Um, And I I don't mean that like as in like, whoa, yeah, it was incredible to read. I was like steaming up. I just mean like I was shocked that that many that many pages could be filled you know, in a in a young adult fiction novel with like what could what what I would describe as just like straight up smut, like it was it was some really steamy stuff going on. Um, but that being said, the series starts so humbly. Oh, hey, I literally said the word series like multiple, and my phone went off. That was crazy. So I'm not going to say the word, but. When I said hey, and then that robot's name, my phone thought I was talking to it. Silly phone. You don't have a brain yet. Anyway, um, the series, yeah, it just expands so completely. It reminds me very much in terms of simplicity of like Lord of the Rings, right? The very beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. Well, the reason I love watching Fellowship um, it's still, it's always hard to pick my favorite Lord of the Rings movie. Easy to pick my least favorite. Least favorite's Two Towers. Always will be. Fight me about it. Listen, people are like, oh, but the battle. And I'm like, that's all that movie was. It was a gear up to a large battle and just a way to bridge the first and third movie. Like, what happened in that movie? One battle. What else happened in that movie? Nothing. Nothing is the answer. Um, that aside... I love the first one and I love the third one and I can never pick between which that I love more, but why the fellowship I think has such a great place in my heart is because when you watch the fellowship and then watch eventually all three and you get through to return of the King, by the time return of the King comes, this journey became so complicated and it was, there was such despair and all hope seemed lost and just it got just so epic that by the end you like had to take a deep breath. That's what I love about Return of the King. That deep breath at the end where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it's finally over. Look how far we've come. Um, but, you know, and I'm saying watch. It could also be read. You know, I, I'm, I'm talking about the movie specifically right now. Books are a different story. I don't even want to get into the books. Um, but... The Fellowship, the reason I love watching The Fellowship of the Ring is because of the the opposite of that, the simplicity, the idea that like in the beginning, it's just these four goofballs. They're just like hobbits, the most simple, kind, loving folk, and they're throwing a birthday party and there's just like a ring and it's like, what is this? And then things just sort of snowball from there and it gets bigger and it gets grander and the stakes raise and thing you find out things and it just it becomes this grand adventure. That's how this series was for me reading it. The Throne of Glass series is that the first book is like first two books really is like the fellowship of the ring so to speak it's like the humble beginnings where things begin to snowball and spiral and you get like the barest hints of like what's going to come but by the time you get to the the final book the uh kingdom of ash like i the characters are just have come so far things have just progressed so far I, I can't even describe the journey, but that's really what made it great, the journey. Um, so really kudos to the author, kudos to this series. It's definitely something you should pick up um, if you're a reader and if you like high fantasy and adventures. Um, last, to round out the D&D section, we have the Holiday Gift Guide. What do you get your D&D player or your DM for the holidays? Well, I'm going to start with D&D Beyond. I mentioned last month that, uh, or two months ago, whenever it was, that I now am a subscriber and 
purchaser of D&D Beyond. I have all of the source books for D&D electronically. Um, I now get the 15% discount, and I also have the master tier subscription. Well, what does all that mean? Well, if you have a player, if you're if the person you're buying for is a player of D&D, you might want to get them um, maybe a source book or two on D&D Beyond, even just the player's guide, just so they can create characters and store them on the D&D Beyond servers and use the at least the basic rules. If you know there's a character that they love, that they play all the time, you can even buy the specific things that would get them everything that they would need to play that character, if it doesn't come in the player's guide, that is. Um, and then of course, if you want to top it off, there's a monthly subscription for players you can do. I think it's like two or $3 a month and it allows them to create all these characters. That's up to you if you want to get them a subscription service, but really at, at the least, I would say buy a source book or two on D and D beyond. Um, if you are buying for a DM, um, you can, if you're going the cheap route, buy them a couple months of the master subscription, which allows them to share and, and use it as a, as a DM would and use any content that they have with their players and create campaigns and unlimited character slots. Um, but at a maximum, if the person you're buying for, once again, it's like a special loved one or someone you want to dump a lot of money on, or maybe you're rich and you can just buy anything for anyone, um, the ultimate bundle would be the thing to buy. Get them the thing that's going to get them a 15% discount on all future books and gets them all the current books. Now, it's a hefty price tag. It's close to 400 something dollars, if not over. Um, but there's always 25% coupons out there. You can search on the internet, which I mentioned before. I got 25% off when my wife bought it for me. She, you know, got the coupon. And uh, I would recommend doing the same thing because when you're looking at a $400 product, 25% is $100 savings. Uh, $300 is still a steep price tag, but I will tell you as a DM, it's 100% worth every penny. Um, the next possible thing you can get for a player would be a Hero Forge Mini. If you go to heroforge.com, uh, this was a company that I believe was kickstarted originally. They 3D print custom D&D minis. They have all these different assets all on their website. You can build the mini right there, decide how tall, how short, what race, what are the eyes going to do, how are they, how's the mouth going to look, is everything you could possibly think of and more. Um, quite an amazing spread of assets to use. And if you know or have a picture of what your... Uh, the person you're buying the gift for, if you have some sort of picture of their character or you have an idea as to what they would want, then I would build them a custom mini and then buy it. Or you can even have them build it for you, save it, and then you can choose what material to buy it in. If you're looking just for something stable, they have durable plastic, which will allow you to get a great use out of it. Um, the two different types of plastic they have, I believe one is $20, one is 30 Or if you're looking to immortalize someone's character in all of their eternal glory with epic detail, they have, I believe, a bronze um, metal version of the minis it has the most detail and the most durability but it is a hundred dollars for that mini i would love a hundred dollar mini of alibris archimedes my character but i would never ever ever allow my wife to spend that amount of money on a miniature but secretly if we ever came into money and it just happened to show up underneath the tree or was a gift for hanukkah I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't return it. You hear that? I wouldn't return it. Hint, hint. But seriously, don't spend that much money, my wife, who's probably listening to this. For everyone else, maybe you want to spend that much money. Get the bronze mini. Um... And of course, last but not least, you could also get materials, accessories, or hardcover source books. So hardcover source books means go out to Barnes & Noble and get a D&D hardcover book, um, like the player's handbook if they're new, or if you want, if it's a DM, you can get them one of the newest modules, like Waterdeep Dragon Heist, or the uh, Waterdeep uh, Mountain of the Mad Mage, or whatever the new one is, and that's always a good idea, but you could also just get a nice dice bag, leather embossed in some way. Maybe that's $20 or $30 right there you spend, or maybe if it's a cheaper side, you have a bunch of friends and you want to get a small gift and they all play D&D, 
some nice dice sets. Chess X dice sets sell for about $10 for a full set of D&D dice, and that's a small, thoughtful gift. Get, find out what their favorite colors are and get their favorite colors. Or if their character wears a certain sort of flair all the time, if the character is always clad in green and silver, find the green and silver uh, polyhedral dice and get them for them. Uh, that pretty much ends the D&D section. Moving along to board games, I'm only going to talk about one board game while Jengis isn't here, and it's a board game that he didn't play, or at least I don't know if he played, because I got it, and I got it on Black Friday, I played it with my wife, Jengis. Oh, he's not here to say it. I'll do it. My wife, not as good, but um, it's called We Didn't Playtest This at All. It was a Black Friday special I got on Amazon, just happened to see. I think it was 11 bucks on Black Friday. And it's a ridiculous card game. Uh, it reminds me of a long time ago, uh, a friend of mine, Phil, who he was on one of our episodes. Um, he's in, Recently, you might have heard him on the Halloween episode, that the Long Lost Module. He was one of the characters in there. Phil created this game called it was either a hundred blank cards or a thousand blank cards and it was just this dumb little game where you everyone took index cards or pieces of paper or really whatever you had and you would just make up rules on these cards and then try and play a card game out of it um and it was ridiculous and silly and stupid and it got wild and crazy and there was no way to really balance it well that's what this game reminds me of um we didn't play test this at all is this ridiculous card game that has ridiculous rules to it. And it's sort of like someone took Phil's idea and then just printed it. Um, there's even blank cards in there for you to add to it. And I played three games of it with my wife, Jangus. Oh, no, he's still not here to do it. See, that's two missed opportunities. Um, but I played two games and or three games rather, and they lasted different times. Like the first one lasted about, I'd say, 10 minutes, maybe. Um, the second game lasted like a minute. And I think the third game lasted like 15 seconds because there are just some cards that are just ridiculous depending on the circumstance. It's a game I would definitely want to play with more players. You can fit two to 10 players. It says two to 10 fun seeking people. The rules are ridiculous too. The rules are just like the goal of the game is to win. If you have lost, you have not won and you are in fact out of the game. If everyone else loses, you have won. And that's pretty much the rule. Like right there, there's like a couple modifying rules, but that's pretty much the game. You just play a card and follow whatever the heck it says and assume it's going to make sense. You have a hand of two cards on your turn. You draw one card and then you have to play one of the three cards from your hand. Simple as that. Then you just follow the instructions on the card. One of the best things about this game, though, is definitely the flavor text. The cards have these great little quips at the bottom, um, you know, little pew-pew lasers, and it's, it's, I don't want to spoil anything, but they're a blast to read. Um, so if you can pick this up for cheap, I mean, for 11 bucks, I would give this game two thumbs up already, and I haven't even played a big version of it yet with a lot of people, but I'm not sure how much I would have spent for for it. I'm not sure what its retail price is normally. $11 was a great price. I would pay $11 again. I wouldn't go higher than 15. If this game is any higher than 15 normally, I don't know if I would spend that much. Um even 15 would be pushing it. I feel I don't, I'm not comfortable saying whether or not I would even go 16. 15 I feel like would be my my top max limit. But if you can get it for 15 or other, um under, I should say. Uh definitely I would do it. Why not? Two thumbs up. Right, so trucking along, uh, the holiday gift guide for board games. The first on the list is for your average, not hardcore gamer. If you're looking for like a fun family game night with, you know, the kids um, or for a bunch of people that really aren't the gaming type. They're more of like, you know, oh, I played Connect 4 when I was a kid or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, Monopoly has come out with a new version of itself called the Cheaters Edition. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you know that our first episode, we reviewed Monopoly, and my strategy was to win that game, be a dick. Well, this strategy in this game is sort of similar, but different in the fact that everybody's just trying to cheat. Um, I have not played the Monopoly Cheaters Edition yet, but I own it. Why have I not played it? Well, despite it being a monopoly and it's 
and you're able to be you're able to play the game potentially with two players. The whole point of the cheaters edition is to cheat. However, there are penalties and rules if you get caught. And a lot of the cheats that they allow you to do, that's right, there are like literal cheats that they define for you that you're trying to pull off, like stealing money from the bank and this and that. In a two-player game where all of your focus and attention is on the other person during their turn, I would say 90% of those cheats are almost impossible. Like I would have to go to the bathroom and come back and my opponent would have then had to have pulled all of the cheats at once. That'd be the only way for that game to work the way it should. Because otherwise, if two people are just sitting next to each other playing this game, like you're going to tell, you're going to be able to tell when someone is stealing money from the bank or when they randomly pick a property out and take it or when they're hiding, you know, when they collected extra hundred dollars at go, whatever it may be, like you're going to see it because you're right there. However, if you're playing this version of Monopoly at max capacity, which I think is what, six people maybe I think Monopoly holds, maybe eight, six or eight, um, I'd imagine it's a lot harder to keep an eye and a, and a beat on everybody at all times, right? Especially because your attention is going to constantly be drawn to the active player, and so the non-active players will actively be watching to see if you're watching them and that will give them the opportunity to cheat and there's even little handcuffs when you go to jail and you cheat real bad um but i have not played it yet so i can't give you a, a, a review for the game but i can say it has the potential to be fun and i think it deserves to be on the holiday gift guide if you are looking for a meaty game full of fun and for a hardcore board gamer, I will once again recommend Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven, as I've said before, is a role-playing legacy game, so to speak. It simulates a Dungeons & Dragons story and campaign, but all contained in a board game with tons of hidden things that you don't open and see until you complete certain missions and objectives and go on certain adventures and quests, and it's just great. And the box is huge, and it's like 20 pounds, and I can't recommend it enough. I've We've talked time and time again about it and i'm sure we're going to talk more now that jangus is in on our game and that's what i'd like to bring up gloomhaven can be played with two to four players normally um and i think it plays best with four however we invited jangus into our little group of um board gaming gloomhaven and uh added a fifth player now we haven't done it yet but the way in which it works uh because the last time we met up one of our players couldn't make it so we ended up having four anyway but we we found out that there's an app you can get it's free on both android and the uh, ios app stores that allows you to replace the monster deck that you have to use normally for the the attacking monsters with a virtual deck, therefore freeing up the actual physical cards and allowing a fifth player to join the game. That's the gist of it. Uh, and there, the suggestion that I found on Reddit was that you scale everything one step higher in terms of difficulty if you add a fifth player, and that just about balances it out. So... If you're, if you're looking for a great game that can be played with two to four potential... Actually, technically, you can play the game solo, too. So if you're looking for a game that can be played with anywhere from one to a potential fifth player, Gloomhaven is that game. Gloomhaven is expensive, though, but the price has gone down. When I bought it, it was about 150 bucks. I think I saw it on Amazon for about 120 now. Yes, it's expensive, but it's it's a game that lasts. It's a legacy game. It takes several sessions. It's going to be, you know, it, it's going to take days and days, and depending on how often you meet, that might mean months and months and years and years to actually get through it, and I can't recommend it enough. Uh, if you're looking for a big party game, though, you're the party game player, you bring over a, a group of 20 over to your house and you want to do something big where everybody can join in and it's not too complicated, well, two games we've reviewed before that I would recommend for your holiday season are Code Names and Monikers. You can go back and find the episodes on geekade.com and just search for Code Names or search for Monikers and I'm sure you can find one of our episodes or both of the episodes where we reviewed those games. Um, but without reviewing them again, I'll just say 
say that those games are great for large groups that are looking to play something casual and have an amazing time filled with laughter and fun. And then finally, what if you're looking for something for a gamer, but you don't want to get them another game because maybe they have all the games that they want, or maybe you can't spend $120 on Gloomhaven. It's just not in your budget, but you want to get them something really awesome. The final thing I would recommend is looking at either the Broken Token uh, website or the Daedalus website. They're the two sort of known board game organizer websites. Um, The preference kind of comes down to what you like better in terms of the crafting of the materials and the labeling and the wood and how it stacks. But the concept behind both of these companies is the same. They build um, or send you the parts to sort of self-build and instructions along with it, uh, these organizers that will organize all of the pieces of these big complicated games. Like I have the one for Gloomhaven. I can't even begin to imagine how I would have played Gloomhaven in a large group without this organizer, just because of all of the parts and pieces. Um, What makes these organizers really stand out, though, is that they're engineered in a way that they're all going to fit and pack back into the original box that the game came in. And I can attest, uh, Gloomhaven being my one and only that I got from the Broken Token, though on Black Friday I did buy two more I'm waiting for, and I will let you know how those do. Um, I bought one for Mage Knight, and I bought one for uh, Betrayal of Baldur's Gate, another two games that I think have a lot of movement parts and could use some organize uh, organization um, but I will say the it the both the craftsmanship and the materials as well as the promise to fit in the box are true to form the broken token served me well um, I didn't even know about this other company Dadalis until uh, or Daedalus I'm not sure how the syllabic form of the name of the I think it's like an ancient Greek name right there's a mythology to that but I'm not sure if it's Daedalus or Daedalus but regardless Wow, that was a lot of isses. I guess that's that's a Hercules joke too, right? A lot of isses. Um, love that movie. Uh, Daedalus popped up on my radar when I was searching Broken Token on Black Friday. A YouTube video happened to come up because, you know, now everything you have listens to you and tracks your web searches. And a YouTube video came up of a guy... Uh, comparing the Gloomhaven, Broken Token, and Daedalus organizers, and his personal opinion was that the Daedalus organizer was better. And after watching his video, I'm maybe he was right. I think actually the Daedalus organizer may have been better, simply because there was written labeling, like emblazoned into the wood itself. Um, and I think that would have helped in some ways to know where all the pieces go because I tend to have to refer to a video sometimes to figure out what pieces go in what box and where. Um, It would have been a lot nicer if that was all labeled for me, just inherently stained or painted or burned into the wood like Daedalus does. But regardless of that, I still don't regret my purchase. So whether or not you would prefer Broken Token or Daedalus, what it's going to have the better price, the better look, the better organization, that is entirely up to you, but it is a great gift for your board gaming uh, person in your life. You can go obviously figure out what they have, whatever big complicated board game that they have that you know of, or ask them like, hey, like any games that you have that need better organization, though that's kind of a, a tell that you might be getting them an organizer. That might be the gift for them. Wow. I am thirsty. This has been an entire hour of me talking almost nonstop. And... I'm almost sad that it's over, but not really. I'm more shocked that I got through it. Uh, Master of improvisation. That's what they used to call me once upon a time. Now they just call me nothing. Anyway, that aside, what else can I offer you except a very happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas, a wonderful Kwanzaa, a great whatever the hell it is you celebrate, or just if you celebrate nothing, an easy, hopefully staying warm and bundled December filled with friends and family. And I look forward to wishing you a happy new year as we ring in our next episode. As always, it has been a pleasure and can't wait to hear what Jangus is going to have to say in the next episode when he unloads his news speaking of which if you want to follow him at at 
uh, at the Omni Geek. Um, you can go to his social media websites on both Instagram and there's also his Facebook. I'm sure you can get to, or you can even go to um, his Twitter possibly. And if you look him up, you will be able to find up to date pictures and current things that he's doing at Pax Unplugged. By the time this episode releases, he's either going to be on his way home or possibly just in the middle of his last day. So definitely check him out. Check us out. Check Geekgate out. And have a wonderful, beautiful holiday season. But wait, there's more. That's right. So you thought I was going to log off, but then I didn't. Like I was going to stop there. And that's what we usually do, right? We say all these nice things and then we just kind of end it. No, there's like one more thing. Um, We are going to be doing next week, the week after this episode releases on December 8th, we are going to be filming a unboxing video of a game called i believe it's kingdom of death um i have to check that to make sure i'm not getting my games confused but kingdom of death is a another huge board game um we're talking like giant like gloomhaven sized looking game and geek aids evan uh happened to get a copy of this game and offered jangus and i to unbox it and we might even play it i'm not sure what the day will bring but i'm hoping we get a chance to play it too the game seems like a dark sort of fantasy horror world um where there are demons and devils and stuff and the game itself seems to be uh Two players versus an army, very Diablo-esque, sort of in a uh, board game type setting. It's filled with miniatures, which I'm sure is part of the reason why the price is so hefty. And when I say hefty, I mean it is $400 to buy this game normally. Um, So I can't say I would ever buy buy this game on my own, Um, but I am definitely looking forward to at least opening it and seeing what it's like. It's another 19, 19 pounds, one pound shy of the, the 20 pounds that Gloomhaven promises you and almost quadruple the price. Um, I wonder if it's quadruple the fun. So that video should be released. I don't think we're going to live stream that one. I think we're probably going to make some edits and then be releasing it on geekade.com. So look out for that, hopefully sometime in December, if not in January. Now, now I'll end it abruptly. If you liked this episode of You Shall Not Pass Go, please subscribe. Our episodes are monthly, and you can find this and many more podcasts on geekade.com. If you'd like to share your opinions about the topics of the episode, or you just want to say hi, email us at ysnpgcast at gmail.com.